scripture reading this morning is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 2, verse 12. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God, who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day, in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. This is God's word. Amen. We'll be singing Let There Be Light to the tune of number 745 in your hymnal, so the words will be up on the screens for you. Amen. Love that. Love the words of that song. Well, welcome again. Uh, glad that, uh, again, that we can be gathered together, uh, whether you're here just exploring the Christian faith, trying to figure out, uh, you know, what is, what is this all about, or whether your faith is central to your life. Uh, either way, we're glad you're here. Glad you're with us. Uh, if you are a believer in Jesus, I want to ask you a question this morning. I want you to stop and think about, uh, think for a moment about what God did to open your eyes to Jesus. What God did to open your eyes to Christ such that you put your faith in Him. So think back. Um, you know, what did it take? What did he use? Each one of us has a different story. Uh, you know, think about what was going on in your life at the time. Think about who God used in your story. In fact, you might even, you know, take your pencil and jot down some of these things on your worship folder. You know, write the names down. Who did God use in your life? Um, what did they say to you? What did they talk about? What did you hear from him? What, what did you see in their life? that kind of intrigued you or, or, or opened your eyes, how they lived. 
Um, and I'm going to give you a minute to actually really think about it and, and jot it down. You know, what is it that God used? Who did God use? How did he use them to open your eyes to Jesus? So take a minute, think about that. Hopefully, it's not a lot of time, but hopefully you've had a moment to, to reflect on that and to, to write some things down. Um, now, my guess is that if we were to compare these lists that you just hopefully created, um, I think we'd see all sorts of different things on those lists. I think we'd see all sorts of different life circumstances, uh, different experiences, different trials we went through. Uh, but among all of these lists, I'm pretty sure we'd find at least two things in common. God's transforming word and a transparent life. Somebody spoke God's word into your life or, or told you what God's word said about God, about you, about sin, about Christ, about faith. Somebody spoke God's word into your life and somebody opened their life to you enough that you knew you could trust them that you knew their love for you was genuine and that their faith was for real. God's transforming word and a transparent life. Living on mission for Christ is not complicated. Uh, it's not for experts. It's for everyone. And everyone in here who believes in Jesus is the fruit of someone else living on mission sharing God's word, sharing their life with you such that you saw Christ, such that uh, you you had put your faith in him. Uh, They bore witness to who Jesus is, to what he's done to rescue us from our sin, to change our lives in order to, to bring glory to him. So as we've been looking at our vision uh, this month to be a gospel-centered community living each day on mission for Christ, We've talked already a bit about what it means and why it's so important that the gospel must be central. And when we use the word gospel, we're talking about uh, the gospel of Jesus, the good news of what God has done to establish his kingdom and to deal with our sin, your sin, my sin, through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. So that's what we mean by that word gospel. And we've talked about why it must be central, why everything must flow out of it and point back to it. We've also talked about how the gospel truth shapes our identity, who we are in Jesus. We looked at that last week, specifically how God has made us into a family of uh, learners, of worshipers, of servants, and of missionaries in whom God dwells and through whom he displays his glory, his beauty, his worthiness. And this morning and, and next week, I want to talk about what it looks like for us as a gospel-shaped community, as a community who finds our identity in Christ, a family of missionary servants, what it looks like to give ourselves to the mission that God has given us, to make disciples of Christ, a mission that flows again out of the truth of Jesus and points everyone and everything back to the truth and beauty of Jesus. And Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians is going to be our guide uh, this morning. So please pray with me. And if you uh, aren't there, go ahead and make your way back to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, which is on page 1169, I believe, um, in the Pew Bible. So please pray. Lord, we thank you uh, that you have been active in our hearts, that you have not left us in this dark and fallen world without a witness to who you are, to what you've done. We thank you that men and women uh, took the risk of opening their lives and of opening God's word to so many of us. And Lord, we pray uh, that our lives would bear much fruit for you. And so Lord, help us think about what what you've called us to as a church and, and what we uh, what we must do to step forward, to move toward that. 
Give us grace. Give us strength. And give us joy and passion in Jesus. So we pray all of these things in his name. Amen. What is our mission as a gospel-centered community? And what does it look like to live it out? This morning, we are going to talk about, we're going to look at the mission, the means, and the method of making disciples. Mission, means, method of making disciples. It's a lot of M's there, uh, but hopefully it'll help you remember uh, what we're talking about. And we see a beautiful picture of the church's mission, of the means God gave, gave them, and of the method they used in Paul's ministry to the Thessalonian church in this book. Uh, this book was written by the Apostle Paul to an ancient church uh, in the ancient city of, of Thessalonica. And, uh, and it helps us understand these things quite well. But if we're going to understand what Paul's doing and why and why he's writing about it in this book, we actually have to step back a little bit further to the Gospels and to the book of Acts, out of which Paul's mission flows, uh, where Jesus lays out the church's mission in no uncertain terms, to make disciples of Christ. All four Gospels, and that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, all four of them trace the life and the work of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he did, what he taught, how he rescues us from our sin through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, how he conquers death with his resurrection and brings new life. Um, So the Gospels walk through the story of Jesus and how God established his long-awaited kingdom and dealt decisively with our sin in order to rescue a people for himself, for his own glory. And we're going to return back to the Gospel of Matthew in February, which we began walking through a month ago. We're walking through that, that story as Matthew tells it. But all four of these Gospels not only trace the life of Jesus, they also all four end with Jesus having been crucified and resurrected and now getting ready to return to his Father, giving his church, his followers a special commission, a great commission as we call it, to bear witness to the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done, and so to make disciples or followers of Christ, men and women who put their faith in Christ and who are therefore reconciled to God, their sins canceled, adopted into his family, becoming our brothers and sisters Uh, who together worship God, who grow in holiness together, who lay our lives down in service for one another together, and who in turn together make more disciples, uh, more followers of Christ. Perhaps the most famous version of that Great Commission uh, is found in Matthew 28. We heard it from Eurus this morning, but let's look at it again. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's the king of heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, followers of Jesus, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." So all the Gospels end with that commission. And then the book of Acts picks up right where they leave off and begins with the same emphasis, Christ's commission to his church. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So everything in the four Gospels is leading up to the Great Commission, and everything in the book of Acts is flowing out of that Great Commission. We see throughout the book of Acts the Spirit-empowered testimony of God's Word, the Gospel, going forth from His people into places like Thessalonica, which is where the book uh, that we're looking at this morning was written to. And throughout the book of Acts, as as chapter 6 puts it, the word of God increased, continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. So the church received her commission and went out making disciples for Christ. 
That's the mission. That's the calling. And our calling is exactly the same as that. To bear witness to the gospel of Jesus through his word, to help people come to know Christ and to live their lives uh, for his sake, for his glory, in his joy. So what means does God give us to do that, though? That's the mission. Uh, what means does God give us to make disciples? And, of course, there's a, a ton of different ways God will work in our lives to grow us. But we see two essential and central ingredients in making disciples in First Thessalonians. God's transforming word and our transparent lives. And so that's the means. And, and again, look at, at 1 Thessalonians 1 with me. Uh, as we look at Paul's ministry throughout chapters 1 and 2, I want us to notice how God's transforming word, is the word of God, often translated message in the NIV, uh, the message of the gospel, how that transforming word and the transparent lives of Paul and his associates, his partners, Timothy and Silas, how those two things go hand in hand through this book. So look at verse uh, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he's chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. So the focus of Paul's disciple-making ministry was the gospel of Jesus. Our gospel came to you. God's word. And, and it's not merely, God's word is not merely words, but it's a transforming word. It's a message that comes uh, with power and the spirit and full conviction. It's a message that is able to change lives. Able to change lives. The spirit of God takes the truth of the gospel that we proclaim. Uh, what Jesus has done for us to rescue us from our sin through the cross. And, and the Spirit applies that to hearts. Uh, convicting us of sin and giving us new life in Christ. So the gospel comes to us just as we are. But it doesn't leave us just as we are. It changes us. It changes us. And we see that later in chapter 2, verse 13. Paul says we also... Thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. God's word is powerful, and it is at work in those who believe by his spirit. So disciples are made through proclaiming God's transforming word. Uh, which is why scripture must be central to everything about us. Uh, must be central to everything. But what's interesting in 1 Thessalonians is that the word of God throughout that book is communicated in the context of transparent lives. Lives that are open and authentic and genuine. Lives that people can see into and to see how God has changed them. So look again at 1 uh, verse 5 with me. Our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You know how my life was conducted before you. Paul's life was open to the people. They knew how he lived. Uh, it wasn't just a, you know, uh, a preaching this or that and then just kind of keeping closed off. He shared life with them. They could see the genuineness of his heart, of his ministry, of his concern for them. They could see how God had changed his own life uh, by his word. Uh, look at chapter 2 with me, uh, verses 1 through 12. And I'm just going to read through these verses. And, and I want you to see again how these two things go hand in hand. God's transforming word and the transparent lives of his people. So chapter 2, verse 1. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. And right there, even in the language of you know, he's talking about transparency. They know what he's talking about. They've seen it in him. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. So God's transforming word, the gospel. For the appeal that we make does not spring from error or impure motives. We're not trying to trick you. Transparency, 
On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, God's word. We're not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness, transparency. We were not looking for praise from men, nor from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. Genuine care and transparency, open lives. Look at verse 8. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, God's word, but our lives as well. Transparency. Because you'd become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone. Transparency. While we preach the gospel of God to you. God's word. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. Transparency. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Transparent lives, ministering God's transforming word. That's the pattern throughout that whole chapter. Now, as I think about this in my own life, you know, to answer my own question I posed to you at the beginning, uh, how God opened my eyes and helped me to grow in him. There are too many names to put down on that sheet of paper. And every single one of them opened God's word to me and opened their lives to me. They opened God's word in their own lives. I think of Brian Wachter, a man who met with me every week for four years through college. To, who, who opened God's word with me, helping me to wrestle with what it means and how to study it, how to apply it to life, who walked with me and, and taught me how to pray, how to, how to spend devotional time with God, how to share my faith with others, um, who walked, who opened his own life and, and his own personal struggles, he let me into that, and who walked with me through some of the ugliest parts of my own spiritual journey. Think of uh, Jay Thomas, who not only walked with Carissa and I through two miscarriages and through the uncertainty of job transition and financial hardship, but who taught me more than anyone else how the gospel of Jesus is my only hope for life and ministry. I have nothing else. And he taught me that that's enough. That, that Jesus is enough when our hearts are broken in loss. He's enough when the money runs out and we don't know what's next. That he's enough for a wretched sinner like me to be able to boldly declare the gospel of his grace. Jesus is enough. The means that God has given us for making disciples is his transforming word, the word of God in scripture in our transparent lives. Scripture matters. Because in the Bible, God is speaking to us. He's making himself known by the Spirit in the face of Christ. We will not make followers of Christ if we do not get people into the word of Christ. Scripture matters. But authenticity and shared life matters too. Uh, because people are not projects. They're people. This is about relationships. Uh, transparency in the gospel means sharing life in a genuine relationship. Loving people not because of what we get out of them, but because we actually love them. And Christ loves them. Moreover, if they cannot see how the gospel's changed our lives, if they can't see you know, uh, how genuine our love is or our faith is or how we love one another in the body... They're not going to have much of a reason to consider our words, are they? Now, if if you're here and and again you're you're not a Christian, you're just exploring the faith. I would imagine there's probably a ton of questions uh, that that probably come up when you hear somebody talking about the necessity of trusting Jesus. Um, you know, is this true? Um, 
what's the big deal? Why can't we just live and let live? You know, can't we keep this stuff to ourselves? Uh, all sorts of questions, and I would be more than happy to grab a cup of coffee this week and talk about those kinds of things. But my hunch is that one of the questions you probably have when someone tells you that you need Jesus uh, is this. What's the angle? You know, what do you want from me? What are you going to get out of this? How do I know you're not trying to take advantage of me or, or exploit me in some way? Is this about money? Seriously, come on. In other words, are you for real? Are you for real? And is this for real? Those are good questions. Very natural questions and very appropriate questions. In fact, the Thessalonian church seems to have been asking those very questions. If you look at how Paul goes out of his way to remind them of the genuineness of his love. The fact that he he wasn't playing an angle. In chapter 2, for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives. We're not trying to trick you. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. We're not looking for praise from men, nor from you or anyone else. So there's the question, is there an angle here? And, And the reason Paul can say those things, no, there's not. And you know it because he lived an open life before them. They could see right into who he was. His life was an open book. He was with them enough and he was with them long enough for them to get to know one another and to walk together through life so that there was a genuineness to their relationship. Now, of course, the sad reality is that some people do have an angle with this stuff. Uh, There are people out there who, in the name of Jesus, intentionally try to exploit others. And it is ugly and it is wrong. Um, In fact, there's probably parts of my own heart where I even play an angle sometimes because I want people to like me. I want people to think I'm doing a good job. You know, there goes pastor getting after it. You know, that's just selfish. But that's why transparency matters so much. We're not trying to get people to make a transaction. Uh, We're not selling a good or a product. We're sharing our real lives with real people, with a real message of lasting hope. So as we think about our vision and this, you know, how the means God has given us to make disciples, um, are we holding forth God's transforming word in our relationships, in our ministries? Or are we holding back? Or are we holding something else out there, trying maybe to improve upon God's word? And are we living transparent lives, being authentic, genuine, spending enough time with each other and with others that we can really get to know one another and see inside each other's hearts? Or are we putting on a show, trying to look good for others like we've got it together? If we are taking the gospel seriously personally in our own lives, then we don't have to put on a show. Because God's grace frees us to be honest about our sin and our shortcomings because we have an adequate solution in Jesus. His grace really is enough to cover that. And so I don't have to hide it from you or from the next person. The means of making disciples is God's transforming word and our transparent lives. That's what we've been given to work with. So the next and last question here is, what's the method? What's the method of making disciples? The mission is to make disciples. The means is God's word in our authentic, real lives. What's the method? What do we do with God's word in our lives? In 1 Thessalonians, we see the same method that we see in Jesus' ministry. We see it throughout the book of Acts, uh, Paul's life elsewhere, and the other apostles. Um, It's a very simple method evangelize non-Christians, establish new or young Christians, and equip growing Christians that they might go and do likewise. Evangelize, establish, and equip. So that's what we're going to look at for the remainder of our time here. The method, evangelize, establish, and equip. Look again at chapter 1 with me. After Paul thanks God for the fruit of the gospel that he's seeing in this church, 
he describes his ministry and, and their spiritual journey in verses 4 through 10. And the first thing we see is evangelism. Paul shared the gospel of Christ with them. We see it in verse 4, which we read earlier. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he's chosen you because our gospel came to you. Not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. God's transforming word was brought to those who did not know Christ. So evangelism, is it's a $10 word uh, that simply means sharing the good news of Jesus. It's sharing the gospel, God's transforming word, uh, with someone who does not yet know Christ. So it's introducing them to Jesus according to the word. We want to see, we want to help people see how their personal story fits into God's grand story and, and how that grand story of God, which climaxes in Jesus, how that story changes everything. Um, how Jesus deals with our greatest problems and satisfies our deepest longings. The greatest problem being our sin and, and how it has separated us from a holy God. And our deepest longing to be known and accepted and loved by that holy God who made us. Helping people see how Jesus' righteous life and sacrificial death deal with our sin to reconcile us to God. And how we take hold of that gift through faith. It's not by uh, being good enough, being religious enough, you know, making church three out of four Sundays or any you know, hogwash like that. Do you trust Christ? Is he your hope? Or are you depending on yourself? Is Jesus all you've got? Is he your hope? Is he your uh, all of your faith? So the goal of evangelism is to help someone believe the gospel. Believe the gospel of Jesus. Every Christian journey begins by believing in Christ. Uh, turning away from sin, receiving forgiveness and new life, and becoming part of God's family. But the journey does not end there, does it? So we, we begin the journey by believing in the gospel. We don't stop believing in it afterwards, by the way. We continue to, to trust in it. But the journey begins there. But Paul goes on to establish and equip the believers in Thessalonica uh, because in Christ they're now part of a family with a mission, God's family. So look again at the middle of verse 5. You know how we lived among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. So as he shared his life with them, living among them, they became imitators. Uh, in spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Later in, in chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says, how We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul didn't just leave them as new Christians. He spent time with them to help them grow and become anchored in their faith through God's word and his own life. New Christians must be established. They must be established. So if the goal of evangelism is to help someone believe the gospel, the goal of establishing is to help them depend on the gospel and apply it to all of life to help them depend on the gospel and apply it to all of life. Think of the imagery of that word establishing, you know, laying a solid foundation that you could build on. That's what the picture is. Or, or you think of um, the imagery of a tree sinking down deep roots uh, into the ground in order to anchor and nourish, uh, be nourished in Christ. And, and why is that important? Why is it important to have a solid foundation or deep root system. And what happens uh, during the storm if a tree's root system is weak and shallow? Or to a building if the foundation is faulty? The thing's going down. So it matters to get them grounded in Christ. How can a tree bear fruit if it's not, uh, if the root system is weak or shallow? It can't. So unless we're established in the faith, unless we learn how to depend on Jesus daily, to grow in his grace daily, spending time with him in his word and in prayer, depending on him and his spirit, not our own effort, we're not going to be prepared for the storms that life sends. And in case you're wondering, they will come. Becoming a Christian does not make life easier. 
I know there's a lot of people publishing a lot of books telling you that kind of stuff and making a lot of money off of it. It's a lie. The Christian faith is not always easy. In fact, it's often full of suffering and persecution. The Thessalonian church was riddled with persecution against them for their faith. We must be established in a deep root system in Christ. The Christian life's more than just believing in Jesus. It's growing as a follower of Christ who's utterly dependent on his grace and his spirit. So Christ is our lifeblood. Again, thinking of the imagery of the tree or of the vine and the branches that Jesus talks about in John 15. Christ is our lifeblood. Without him, we can do nothing. And Christ is our king who calls us to bring all of life under his reign and rule. Christ is our satisfaction and our joy. The goal is not just to get to heaven when we die. Awesome as that is, don't want to diminish anything from it, but the goal is much more than that. It is to know and enjoy and serve God as our King and Savior with every part of our lives, no matter what life brings. That's a follower of Christ. That's what we're called to. And so we must be established in the faith, and we must help others become established in that faith by sharing God's word in our own lives. And and so that means that as a family of missionary servants, we must also be equipped. We must also be equipped. We must be equipped to help someone learn how to minister the gospel of Jesus. So evangelism is helping someone believe the gospel. Establishing is helping them depend on the gospel, and apply it to all of life. Equipping is helping someone minister that gospel to someone else by evangelizing, establishing, equipping. And you see how the cycle keeps going. Making disciples is not just for experts. It's for everyone. Paul's ministry not only grounded the Thessalonians in faith, but it prepared them to minister as well. We see the fruit of that in chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message, the word of the Lord, rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we need not say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So having been evangelized and established and equipped, the word of the Lord sounded forth from this church. They ministered God's transforming word through their own transparent lives and became a model to everyone around. See how that works, how that's passed on. So making disciples, our mission involves taking God's word, which is powerful to change lives, and sharing our own life that has been changed and is being changed by evangelizing non-believers, helping them believe the gospel, establishing new believers to depend on and apply the gospel to all of life, and equipping growing believers to minister the gospel to others, by evangelizing, establishing, and equipping. So, again, thinking about our, our vision as we move forward, how well do our ministries line up with that pattern? That's a good question for us to wrestle with. We, we, God has blessed us with a lot of wonderful ministries, a lot of wonderful opportunities to serve one another. How intentional are we at these three things? Um, you know, this pattern was intentionally woven into some of the revisions we made among our children's ministry this past year as we reviewed all of that. Um, so is it happening there? And, and is it happening in the rest of what we do as a church? Do we know how to bring someone through that process? Do we know, uh, if, if someone were to ask me, you know, I, I see there's something about you and, and you, you keep talking about this Jesus, who is he and how do I believe in him? Do I feel ready to explain that to someone? Or if someone comes to me and, and says, you know, I've got this problem in my marriage, I've got uh, this problem I'm facing at work, 
or I really blew it last night and I haven't told anybody else, but I need you to know what I did. Do we know how to bring them to the cross and bring the gospel to them to minister to those situations? Um, how well are we doing? And are we lopsided in, in our efforts, our focus? You know, exerting a lot of energy and resources on one part of that process, maybe at the expense of others. That's another good question for us to wrestle with. You know, if, for instance, a church gives everything it has to evangelism, to helping people come to know Christ, but never comes alongside them afterwards to help them grow and be anchored, we create immature, shallow believers whose lives don't grow to reflect Christ and, and who don't have the foundation necessary to weather the storm. Or if we neglect evangelism and establishing and only focus on equipping, uh, you know, helping mature believers uh, grow, we run into tremendous problems as well. So we need a balance in those things. And, you know, if we have a temptation toward one of those extremes, it's probably the latter one there, uh, 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 focusing on equipping uh, at the expense of evangelism and establishing, um, you know, assuming a certain maturity level in the church. <clears throat> now, there's a lot of things, a lot of things that we've been talking and praying about as a congregation, even downstairs this morning in that meeting, where we want to address those things. We want to do a better job as a church at not just helping people who know the Lord grow deeper, but also helping those who don't know him come to know him and get established. And this is crucial. I'm so thankful we're asking those questions because what happens if we're disproportionately focused on helping mature believers grow deeper, but not doing much over here in evangelism, is that all of our ministries then become about us. See how that works? Uh, we in become increasingly out of touch with the life and needs of non-believers or new believers, with the kinds of questions they're asking, the kinds of problems they're facing. Uh, we become, if we're not careful, tribal, with our own language, our own set of traditions, our own way of doing things that we're committed to, but that no one else but us can follow. And which makes it pretty hard for non-believers and new believers to feel welcome among that kind of church. So we want to guard against these things and move away from them. Because that's the irony of being unbalanced. You know, if, if we focus exclusively or, or almost exclusively on just growing deeper, but we're not ministering beyond that, that's not overflowing, we tend to actually become less authentic. Because if the measure is your maturity, we've all got to put on the show to look good for one another. We actually become less authentic. Uh, we gotta, we got to act as though we've got it all together. If our energy into growing mature, goes into growing maturing believers and never overflows, church becomes an academy. It's advanced learning for the elite rather than a hospital, a place where the weak and the wounded can come and find safe haven and hope and direction. Now, I'm not suggesting uh, that deep growing and learning is a bad thing. I'm suggesting balance in, in our focus. Uh, we can never master the scriptures. We can never exhaust the beauty of the knowledge of God and not the sight of heaven Delighting in Jesus and depending on his gospel makes us want to grow in holiness. It makes us want to dig deeper into the word, to know Christ more. There's always more to see and savor of God's beauty and glory. There's always more sin to repent of. There's always more grace to fill our lives. God calls us to love him, not just with our hearts, but with our minds as well. And so, we don't want to stop learning or care less about theology and doctrine. But neither do we want our learning to stop short with cold and discompassionate hearts. We want that learning to stoke the fire of affections toward God and toward others. We want, if you will, to be a teaching hospital. So a transparent people who, who have found Christ in the midst of their own brokenness and sin, among whom other broken and sinful people feel 
welcome and can find direction and hope and the hope of the word of Christ. And yet where we're also working together to train one another and how to minister to those needs in, in that kind of care. So you think of a model of a, of a hospital in downtown Boston. It's not just for the sick, but it's also for those who are learning how to be ministers. That's what we want in, in a church. We want to be growing and, and, and training and developing, but we also want to continue to minister to those in need, never forgetting that we ourselves are those in need. That we too still need the gospel of Christ every day, just as much as everyone else. We want to be a community where we're all learning day by day how to let the gospel of Jesus shape all of life. Or in other words, a gospel-centered community living each day on mission for Christ. Now, earlier I asked you to write down on your worship folder uh, the names of those that God used to open your eyes to Jesus. And as we think about where God's taking us as a church, the question I want to end with is this. Who's going to write your name down on a folder someday? Who is going to write, who's going to say that that this man, this woman, this community loved me so much they were delighted to share not only the gospel of God but their own lives as well? Who's going to write our names down as we give our lives away? God has given us a beautiful mission, a glorious calling. And he's given us everything we need for it through the gospel of Christ and through his spirit. So by his grace, may we link arms and be faithful to his calling. May may the word of the Lord sound forth from us. And and may our changed lives become an example to others around as we take seriously the gospel of Jesus and as we minister seriously the gospel of Christ. That is our prayer. So let's, let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, how can we thank you enough for the power of what you've done through Jesus, who he is, his life that was lived in our place, never compromising your word, his death where he laid down his life to take up our sin, and your righteous penalty against us to exhaust your holy anger against our sin, in order to deal justly with sin and mercifully with sinners like us. Your spirit, which changes our life by applying the grace of Christ every day. Lord, there's no way to thank you enough for who you are and what you're doing with wretched sinners like us who are now adopted into your family as children of God. Lord, we give you thanks for the fruit of the gospel uh, in the life of this church, for the work of faith, the labor of love, the steadfastness of hope, for the generosity of men and women who lay their lives down for Christ, that, that he might be formed in others, and that you might receive the glory due his name. Uh, but Lord, we pray that we would do so more and more, that you would direct our hearts and our hands toward the vision you're calling us to, that through our lives and the ministry of your word, as your spirit works in us and through us, that we would see men and women throughout the Metro West finding the life and joy and satisfaction, the rescue, the freedom that comes only in Jesus in giving you the glory due your name even as we pray that our lives would continue to be shaped by that grace and that truth. Lord, we pray for those who are serving on our behalf on the mission field. Uh, We ask your blessing uh, specifically today on Lynn Stapleton Stapleton and her work in Asia. Uh, Lord, supply her needs, open uh, doors and opportunities, encourage her heart. 
Use her life to make your name known. Lord, we ask that you would meet the needs of those among us who are hurting, uh, whether it's financially or uh, whether it's broken relationships, um, whether it's uh, emotional burdens, physical health. Lord, we pray for healing for Jim Medallia and uh, then just that you would heal him from this pneumonia. You'd protect his body. Uh, We pray, Lord, uh, for David Hepp. We pray for those who are battling cancer, for Mary Boy, uh, for Steve Gerber, for Bob French, for Rick Brown. And Lord, as we recognize, uh, again, as we mentioned this morning, the 40th anniversary of, of Roe versus Wade this week, we pray for your mercy on this nation in our unspeakable sin. God, we pray that you would move hearts to protect and cherish all human life, uh, including the life of the unborn. We pray for those who minister to women and men in crisis pregnancy situations, um, that you would change hearts through them. Lord, we pray for women who have had an abortion, and for the men who have compelled them or paid for them, for the parents who have forced them on their children. Lord, may you speak to their hearts to let them know that your grace is sufficient even for this. May your blood cover their shame and heal their broken hearts. May you give us hearts of compassion because we are among them, Lord, even here. May we not only be pro-birth, Lord, but may we be pro-life. May you raise up a culture of adoption among your church. That we would gladly expand our families to cherish life. Just as you, in your love, gladly expanded yours and adopted us into your family. Jesus, your grace is sufficient for all of this and it is all we've got. So be honored among us to use us to make your name known. We ask it in Jesus' name.